You've just listened to the longest discourse in the New Testament, just on 40 verses from John's Gospel, telling about an encounter Jesus had with a woman at Jacob's well in Samaria. It's important to put this into a setting. The Samaritans, the people who lived in Samaria, were a sect of Judaism, but not Judaism itself. A bit like the division amongst the Islam people between the different strains of Islam. And the Samaritans and the regular Jews had nothing to do to it, with each other. They were virtually sworn enemies. And the Samaritans were forbidden to go into the temple. So they worshipped on their own mountain, Gerizim, and not in Jerusalem. And here we see this encounter with Jesus, with the Samaritan woman. But we need to go back a little bit to see why these divisions happened and how they perpetuate in our generation. You heard in the Gospel, in the first reading from the Old Testament, the Jewish people were brought out of Egypt from slavery under the great leadership of Moses. And all was going well till life got tough. And when life got tough and they were thirsty, they quarrelled and they rebelled against Moses. They even said to him, we are better off in slavery than dying with thirst in the desert. Let us go back to where we came from. And this is still an everyday experience in our society. If you want to understand drug addiction, that's exactly what happens. In the 20 years I've been working in the prison, I've seen up to a 1,000 men who've come out of slavery, come out of prison with the best of intentions, with a sense of direction, fit and well, and free from their drug of choice until they face a challenge until life comes unstuck. They find out their partner's been unfaithful or some other drug dealer is chasing them for money or a boss finds out they've got a record and sacks them. And then they get rebellious and they go back to their old lifestyle. And the end result is they return to prison on a regular basis. And this rebellion is deep within the human psyche. And of course it all started with Adam and Eve. In the beginning of creation, God said, the whole box and dice is yours except the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And the response was, who said so, why can't I? Who said so, why can't I? So they did. And choice came into human experience. And we've been making choices right through creation. And we make daily choices now. And we see with a lot of rebellion, and perhaps when we were teenagers, we might have been a bit more rebellious than we'd like to admit in our senior years. But I wonder how many children have said, who said so? Why can't I? Susie down the road does, or somebody else down the road does. It's a natural instinct to be rebellious.
and that often leads us into trouble or undoing great intentions. And so we come back to our experience in the desert where Jesus is at Jacob's well and a Samaritan woman comes to talk with Jesus. Now, if Jesus was born in our generation, he certainly uh, would have been a revolutionary spirit, a revolutionary man, because he does a number of things in this encounter that a Jew would never have done. First of all, he is a rabbi, and therefore he has no association with women. And yet, he breaks all the rules and asks the woman to draw some water so that he can have a drink. It's also very interesting to note that Jesus reveals to this woman that he indeed is the Son of God. Now, when you read the other three Gospels, and they were written around about 60 to 65 AD, John is written in 90, so there's a progression and it's only when they have the transfiguration that they recognise that Jesus is the Son of God. The first two-thirds of the Gospel, they refer to him as the Son of Man. Then the realisation that he indeed is the Son of God. But in 90 AD, John reveals from day one that he was the Messiah. It's also interesting to note there is no birth narrative in John's Gospel. There's no institution of Holy Communion in John's Gospel because by 90 AD, the Christian Gospel was spreading throughout the known world. It was just amazing how it went south into Africa, north towards Germany and all the way round to India in the first 90 years. And John places great emphasis on this account because he wants to spell out the universal nature of the Christian faith. And he tells this story because this woman is a despised Samaritan who has no place in Judaism and therefore no place in the rewards of being a Christian. So he talks to her reveals himself to her and she goes back and talks to her villagers and converts the villagers and brings them back to Jesus. A great conversion. And it's the foundation of the church that you and I belong to. A lot of people just place emphasis on miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and the great things that Jesus said. But the whole of the Christian faith is about changing attitudes, how we look at God, how we look at one another and the world around us. What is my attitude to the Samaritans of the world today? And they still exist They're in every community, people who have been rejected by society. How do we look at our God as judgmental or loving and forgiving and encouraging who wants to lift us up 
on a daily basis. And so our attitude is going to guide us through the, the later years of our life, for many of us, how we feel about God, about life, about death, and all those things that are going to confront us. What is our attitude? Is it the attitude of Christ, or is it the natural fears that are born in the human race? I want to be very careful what I say about this virus epidemic, but something needs to be said because I have a fear that more people are going to be frightened to death than are going to die from the condition. That's my fear. You look at that on the newspaper with that germ, that bug, floating behind every story on this virus. We are facing a worldwide challenge, but it's the fear. And please remember the words that I've shared with you on other occasions. The word disease is dis-ease, dis-ease. When we're fearful, when we're frightened, when we're tentative, we're more prone to have things go wrong. When we're confident and we hold our heads high, our body seems to function in a different way. And all the reassurance you need this morning, I hope you'll take your pew sheets home and read the second reading over and over again. You are justified by faith. You are justified to enter into the kingdom of God. You are justified not because you're perfect, but because you have faith. That this morning you've woken up, you've made a conscious decision, and you've joined us in the family of God. For that, our Creator says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've made the right choice. Well done. And as, not as a reward, but as a result of that, act, that action, Jesus also says to you, my peace I give unto you, my peace I give to you. And I suggest that peace of mind, peace in our relationship with our God and peace with one another is the greatest gift that we can ever find in our daily lives. And it makes all the difference in the world. And so, my friends, amongst these trials and tribulations and anxieties and fears, trust and obey in God. Take him into your daily deliberations and he will see you through this situation no matter what the outcome is. No matter what the outcome is. God will have you firmly by the hand. And so Jesus says this morning, my peace I give unto you, my peace 
I leave with you.